Well, good morning, church. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here and have been for the last 12 years or so. We are in uh, uh, finishing today a series of messages that we've been in since the first Sunday in June on the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's journey to find meaning, significance, and purpose in life. And he's trying to find that under the sun, 15 times through the book of Ecclesiastes, that phrase, under the sun. And so he searches for a meaning in uh, wealth. He was, uh, the Bible says that Solomon was uh, the richest man, uh, at least in that day and time, uh, that the world had ever seen. He searched for it in education. He searched for it in achievements. He built great, uh, great projects. He searched for it uh, in every way, and searched for it in pleasures, just trying to be able to enjoy himself. And so he um, had the resources just to find um, and find meaning in life under the sun, okay? And over and over again, it comes out that it was, um, he couldn't find that and said, it's, it's vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's meaningless, meaningless under the sun living. Now, this, think about what we're going through as a church here now. If the only thing we had to live for was under the sun, Karen and Mark's death would be meaningless. If, if, if they were nice people and everything, but there's no God, it's meaningless. Life is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Um, if there's no God, why, why, why are we nice to one another? I mean, if, if there's no God, there's nothing but that we rot in grave, why don't we just get all go for the gusto and... Just get as much out of these 75 years as we possibly can by doing whatever we need to do and living our life any other way. If there's no God, we're just going to rot in the grave. Well, you ought to be nice to people. Why? If there's no God, why? Tell me why. Well, it just would make society go better. Well, who cares about society? We're just going to rot and the, the, the worms are just going to eat us anyway. But over the sun, if you not only look for meaning and significance under the sun, if you look for it over the sun, as we get to this chapter here today, there can be meaning and significance in life. And that's why I've told you every single message, I think, except for one, I've told you what Dr. Dennis Kinlaw told me. And when I was with Dr. Kinlaw at Asbury Seminary, he was a foremost Wesleyan that was alive on the face of the earth at that time, and that all the denominations that come into Wesleyan tradition and Dr. Kinlaw was tremendously respected and, and, and had a tremendous influence on my life and he told us one day that if we miss the center, capital C, that would be God, then we live our life for the margins. There's nothing wrong with the margins but the margins aren't the center. They can't hold the weight of the center. They will collapse under that weight. If you try to find meaning and significance and purpose in the margins, they can't sustain that much weight. They can't sustain, they're not that important to deal with that. Only God can sustain the weight of being the center of your life. And when you have God at the center of your life, and then these margins can make sense and they can, they can have meaning and purpose in your life. But if they are the focus of your life, uh, you may say something like, vanity, vanity. Meaningless, meaningless. It's just a chasing after the wind. 
which is a way to say you can't ever, it's just silly, it's stupid, you can't ever catch, catch the wind. So we come to the 12th chapter, and that's the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And he starts it, after, after, after 11 chapters of searching and trying to find meaning and purpose, vanity, vanity, meaningless, meaningless, he starts the 12th chapter in verse 1. He says, and it's, I think it's fascinating, he just, changes sub, he just changes courses right away. He just says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, that doesn't mean that those of us that are in our 60s and 70s and 80s and are not supposed to remember our Creator. But Solomon even knew then. You know what statistics say today? Three out of four people that come to Christ do it in their teen years. Can I tell you a hard truth here today? If you're 70 and 80 years old today and you're not a Christian, the ch statistically, the chances are extremely low. That's not because God can't work in your life. It's because when you get older, you get stubborn and hard-headed, and you know it's true. You know it's true. Three out of four people that come to Christ do it in their youth. And so Solomon says, remember the Creator in the days of your youth. You know, if you do that, you will eliminate so many problems in your life. Man, if I, if I hadn't waited till I was 34 to come to Christ, I still suffer consequences from poor choices I made in those 34 years. Still today, suffer consequences. He's, he's saying, you want your life to go well? You want to live over the, the sun? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And you know who has tremendous responsibility in all that? It's you, Mom and Dad. Because it's extremely rare for a kid to come to Christ that wasn't raised with a Christian mom and dad. It happens. But it's extremely rare. The influence that you have on those kids for good is unbelievable. We talked yesterday about Mark and Karen, and Karen's family sat over here and and, and Mark's family sit over here. And by the way, today, right here, these three, there's, there's Clois and, and, and Beverly and uh, Bowman and, and Steve is, was Karen's, is Karen's brother. And, and they're here today and appreciate them coming to church and a testimony to their faith. But we were talking about Mark and Karen and the lives that they lived and the people that they were. And, The, the lives they lived and the people that they were was no accident. It wasn't a coincidence. There was intentionality involved in that because they were both raised in Christian homes. Karen's dad, Clovis, has taught Sunday school for 72 years straight. Since he was 14, he taught Sunday school. 72 years straight. Now, when you have a dad like that, that impacts you in your life. Beverly wrote a book still praising him of her 26-year-long bout with her daughter Sheila who was in a coma for 26 years eventually died and she, after her death she writes still praising him 
Karen is a mini Beverly. This is, this, this, this is no coincidence here, friends. So if, if our teens, if our youth are supposed to remember their creator in the days of their youth, we as mom and dads and grandmas and grandpas have tremendous responsibility in that. Now we can't, we can't guarantee them. We can't guarantee that raising them up in the right way, that they'll come to Christ early. But I'm telling you, I've, I've been in this business too long. It's extremely rare for a young person that comes to Christ that wasn't raised in a Christian family. It's not impossible. I could name you people. I could name you people. But it's extremely rare. Remember, the, Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. And he writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That word sincere literally, if you translate it literally from the Greek, it, it means without mask. Without mask. That means without hypocrisy, without trying to be somebody you're not. Without mask. Sincere is a good translation. So he says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Timothy pastored many of the churches that Paul planted. It's no, it's no accident that Timothy did that. He was raised right. Now, some of you have got, got kids that are not walking with the Lord, and I know that. And all the children have to make their own decision. I know that. But I'm telling you again, it's very rare to see a kid remember their creator in the days of their youth that was not raised in a Christian family. We have responsibility to lead and to guide. You know what this verse is an encouragement to? This verse ought to be an encouragement to every single mother out there. It doesn't mention Timothy's daddy. Every single mother out there, you've got your hands full. You've got your hands full. I know you do. But evidently, Lois and Eunice didn't have husbands or they had husbands and they weren't Christians I know you got your hands full single moms I know you got your hands full and you got a lot of margins in your life but don't miss the center because if you miss the center the chances are great that your kids will miss the center that's why maybe, I don't know this, did Jesus have Ecclesiastes in mind when, when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. <clears throat> That's kind of like, and all these things on the margins will be added to you as well. Remember, your Solomon for 11 chapters is looking for meaning, purpose, significance in life. Vanity, vanity, it just doesn't make sense to me. Under the sun, I don't see how it makes any sense. And then all of a sudden, he's, in verse 12, the last chapter of the book, he just says, remember your creator <clears throat> in the days of your youth. I've got a picture up here, and you've never seen these people, and that's, that's Frank and Morrow. I've never heard a lady named Morrow, M-O-R-R-O-W is her name. They were dairy farmers in North Carolina. <clears throat> and Frank 
weekly had a prayer meeting for other farmers and they met in his barn and they had prayer meeting and they would pray for their families and they would pray for revival and they would pray for God to raise up godly men and godly women. And one of the answers to their prayer were, were the Graham's son, Billy. Billy Graham is quoted at, at, on his mother's death. Billy Graham is quoted by saying this. When the word came, I wept and yet rejoiced at the same time. I hope you understand that. That's what we did yesterday. Because of the hope that we have in Christ. You know, Mark and Karen will never get liver cancer. They'll never get dementia. They'll never have to go through the struggles of old age. And they died together. When the word came, Billy says, I wept and rejoiced at the same time. Of all the people I've ever known, she has the greatest influence on me. Think of all the people Billy Graham knew. He, he had, at least they tell us, he had relationships with several presidents. But of all the people that influenced him, as his mom was the greatest. And then, then he goes on to say, I am sure one reason that the Lord has directed and safeguarded me, as well as Ruth and the children, through the years was the prayers of my mother and my father. I don't know. Maybe in God's sovereignty, Billy Graham would have got saved anyway. I don't know. Without a mom and dad like this. But maybe he wouldn't have. I don't know. I found this video. In this video, it talks about a holy stewardship. If you're a steward of something, you're a manager. It's, it's, it's somebody else's property, but you have to steward it. We talk about stewardship of finances. And if Greg McAfee goes on vacation for a whole year, he, he gives someone leadership of his place, and that person is a steward. That person is not an owner. That person has to steward steward that business and this video is entitled a holy stewardship can we play it please a holy stewardship a precious opportunity a divine calling a parent parenting isn't just about babysitting and potty training it's not just about teaching them to ride a bike or tie a shoe. It isn't just about making lunches and brushing teeth. Parenting is about changing the world. It's about reminding our kids who they really are, children of God, born for his glory. So parents, let's remember that the most important meetings of your day aren't in a conference room or on a stage, but at the dinner table and at the bedside. Let's remember that there's no quality time without quantity time. That the most valuable thing is not what you leave for them, but what you leave in them. That every time they fall down, you have the responsibility and the privilege of lifting them back up. Remember that your kids don't need you to be popular, productive, and certainly not perfect. They need you to be present. And remember 
that every time you wipe away the tear on their cheek, you're giving them a glimpse of the day when God himself will wipe away every tear forever. The Bible tells us to train up a child in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not depart from. So show them the way, pray for their soul, and give them your best, because God gave you to them. At 63 years of age about retirement and you know our finances are going to be sufficient and we'll be able to leave the kids something and I don't want to I want to leave them a lot because I don't think that's proper to leave your kids a whole lot and they don't ever have to do anything their life uh, Shaq Shaquille O'Neal I heard him say the other day he says my kids won't get anything unless they have two degrees a bachelor's and a master's but it's not as important as the video said, what we leave them as what we leave in them. What we leave in them. Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And I'm just trying to tell you, if, if our teens are going to do that, I'm just saying moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas have a lot of responsibility in that. They have to make their own decision. I know they do. But they, have, they need to be led. They need to be guided. They need to be influenced. It needs to be an example. Where would I have been if I wasn't raised in a godly home at 34 years of age when my life collapsed on me because of consequences of my own sin? Where would I have gone if I wasn't raised in a godly home? I knew to go to Jesus. The only reason I knew to go to Jesus is because mom and dad had drilled that in me. But if, I, if they hadn't drilled that in me, where would I have gone? Would I have gone to the bottle? Would I have gone to more women? Would I have just gotten invested in, in making money? and Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Because it's under the sun living. And here, Solomon is talking about over the sun living. He says, remember your creator. Could have used a lot of different words there for God. He says, remember your creator. If you never see God as the creator, you'll never see yourself as a creature who's accountable to the creator. If this world just magically spun into existence all of, on its own, why does God have any are you accountable to him but if he is your if he had created you then we are creatures who are accountable to our creator Paul Paul Solomon continues in chapter 12 verses 9 through 12 and he says this now not only was the teacher and he talking in the third person here referring himself as a teacher not only was the teacher wise but he also imparted knowledge to the people he pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs that's one of the reasons we believe Solomon wrote this because it refers to proverbs the teacher searched to 
find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. Some of you know what a goad is. Goad is a stick with a pointed something at the end of it. And people goad cattle to get them go in the direction that they want them to go. They get in the wrong direction. It changes, the goad changes the direction. You know, another thing about a goad, whatever that point on the end, whatever it is, it's a little painful. And I, I hope that you've read God's word at times and said, ooh. I hope you've taken it personal enough to, ooh, boy, I wish you hadn't written that. That comes a little too close. The words of the rise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails. Words of the rise get firmly embedded. Child that's been raised and brought up in the right way. Those words are like firmly embedded nails. I was at Kinsey yesterday and I was nailing some signs about the shoes for the shoeless to the trees. And so I nailed them to this tree and I went over to the other tree and there was a rusted nail in there. And I remembered I'd put some signs up there three or four years ago and it was a rusted nail. And I said, well, it's been in there three or four years. I could probably just pull it out. Uh -uh. It's rusted. It's been in there. But it was firmly embedded. I've told you this story before that I was about a year before I came to Christ had some people come knock on my apartment door and witness to me and I was polite to them because I had enough fear of God to not blaspheme them wasn't a Christian by any means but I knew who God was and they shared the gospel with me and my answer to them after they shared the gospel with me totally dumbfounded them because I looked them square in the eye and said I believe everything you say but I believe it right here and I don't believe it here they didn't know what to do with that answer I said what you say is right but I'm not ready to s surrender my life to it as I've told you a hundred times this is a long 18 inches But how did I know they were right? Because I was raised in a godly home. How did I, how did I even un know as a pagan, as an unbeliever, how did I even know that unbelievable spiritual truth of if there's a big difference between the head and the heart? How did I even know that as an unbeliever? Because my dad told me. What's the next verse that we have up here? Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to these words of wisdom. Of making many books, there is no end. And must study, wearies the body. Now, Solomon's not putting down, he's, he's not saying that this is the only book that we can read. But he's saying, this is where you find meaning and significance. 
Once this book is, and what this truth is, is, is becomes primary in your life, all this other stuff, all these other books and all the other things that we can be able to know can add meaning and purpose. But if, if you just rely on this and all this study, and I'm studying, I've, I've, I've heard some people say they're searching and searching and searching for truth. But you know what? They never find it and because they ignore where it's at. And they search here and they search there and they search there. And Solomon says, you know, of the making of many books, there is no end. Much study wearies the body. Truth has been revealed to us. And by the way, this is not my truth. We hear that a lot today. This is not my truth. This is truth. I don't, have, I don't give a rip about my truth because my truth is no better than your truth. I want to know truth. You know, all kinds of people do it. Well, that's your truth. It's not my truth. It's your truth. I'm looking for objective reality. What is truth? And there is that. Just like two plus two is four and it's not five. And Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So Solomon comes to the end in verse 13. He's finishing his writings and he's two verses from the end. He says, now, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. So he's written for 11 chapters, and he, and he sums it up in six words there. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. What's it mean to fear God? It's written all over the Bible. Fear the Lord, fear of God, it's all over the Bible. New Testament and Old. It's not just an Old Testament type of thing. Fear God means to know that God is God and he cannot be mocked. And what you sow, you will reap. God is God. He's not to be trifled with. He means what he says. To fear God is to trust him because you don't truly fear him unless you put faith and confidence and trust in him. And to keep his commandments is to believe I'm taking him at his word. What he says is true. And I'm taking him at his word. We don't fear God if we don't take him at his word. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. So, so searches for 11 chapters, searches for significance, meaning, and purpose under the sun. And he finishes with, over the sun type of living remember your creator in the days of your youth fear God and keep his commandments it, you know in verse 14 right under that I don't want to leave that out it says for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it's good or evil those words Jesus repeated those words When I think of fearing God, I think of the story of Jesus' crucifixion when he was crucified between two criminals. That shows up in Luke 23. You'll remember that story. The people stood watching, and rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. He saved others. Let him save himself if he indeed is the Messiah, the chosen one. 
The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him white vinegar. Why would you be somebody be dying and need comfort and you give him something bitter like that? They're just mocking him. And one of the criminals says, if, if you are really the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hung there and hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And then another criminal says, don't you fear God, man? Interesting. I mean, about an hour before his death or something, he, he didn't say, don't you fear dying. He says, man, don't you fear God? Man, you, you blaspheme like that? Don't you fear God? Don't you know God is God? And then verse... 42, you know how this story ends. Criminal says, that said, don't, don't you fear God? Said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus responded, yep, I will. Today you'll be with me. Don't you fear God? Oswald Chambers uh, is a writer of probably the most well-known devotional that's ever been written. My utmost for his highest, and he wrote this about fearing God. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Now, let me be an honest preacher. We all in this room know that that's a healthy dose of fear sometimes is a really good thing. Keeps us from doing really stupid stuff. But that's obviously not what we're talking about. All of us have not done something or not said something because of fear. Something that we should have done, something that we should have said, we cowered back. Every single one of us have done that at some time in our life. And it was just... Fear. It was fear of people, it was fear of man, it was fear of rejection. It was, we've all done that. But he's saying that your, your, your fear of God should be more than that fear. And so it's not like you'll never have feelings of fear. It's like, yeah, you'll have those feelings, but do it afraid. Do it afraid. Don't give in to those feelings because God is bigger than those feelings. Do it afraid. You're afraid to open your mouth. You're afraid to say that to your neighbor. You're afraid to say that to your son. Do it afraid because God is with you. Because it's the right thing to do. And he'll honor people that do the right thing no matter how it's received. As long as you say it in grace and truth. Do it afraid. I do lots of things afraid. Lots of things afraid. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
So after 11 chapters of under the sun living, trying to find meaning and significance, it comes down to not under the sun, it comes down to over the sun. And so that's one of the reasons that every single Sunday we finish our service with communion. I, I, I want to bring it back to the main thing. And, and when we come to the table, we remember over the sun living. We're, we're, we're mirrored and we're mired down in the, in, in the muck and the clay every week of, of all the under the sun stuff we have to deal with. I know that. We're not saying you don't deal with that stuff. You have to deal with that. But you keep God at the center of that. An amazing thing, he, he can then give meaning and purpose to those margins. Seek first, and then all these things will be added to you as well. So as you come to the table this morning, and our servers are coming to be able to prepare the table for us, as you come to the table this morning, you're... You're remembering that without a center in your life, it's meaningless. It's really meaningless. It's really meaningless. If we're just going to die and get eaten up by earthworms, what purpose is there in life at all? Well, I'll raise my kids. Well, yeah, I guess, but they're just going to die and get eaten by earthworms. Meaning, significance, purpose cannot be found under the sun. At least that's what the writer to Ecclesiastes comes up with. Fear God and keep his commandments. Father, we know one of your commandments is um, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One of your commandments is um, not to lean on our own understanding. One of your uh, commandments is not to find righteousness by works of the law because if we did that then Christ died in vain so father help us to have a healthy reverent dose of fear that we can know that you're holy and you're other And there's no way we can stand before you clothed in our own righteousness. If there's, Father, if there's any man, woman, boy, or girl that attempts to do that, to stand in front of you clothed in their own righteousness, they don't understand you. They have no fear of you. But you've clothed us with a righteousness that's not our own. We thank you for that. And we remember it this morning as we come to the table. Jesus' name, amen.